0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Summit Church Podcast. We want to connect you to a relationship with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live out your best days now. Enjoy the message. Hey, we're in a series called The Suddenlies of God, a season of suddenlies. And we're gonna talk about God's SWAT team, God's quick strike force in this morning session. We're gonna look at two chapters Isaiah chapter 36 and Isaiah chapter 37. So we've been dealing with the theme of suddenlies. We saw God's ability to suddenly invade a bad situation for you and transform it faster than you thought in ways unimaginable, unusual acts. Last week, we saw how Satan seeks to bring sudden fear, sudden terror to distress us, and cause us to block out any chance of God's goodness changing our situation. So we balance that teaching with the idea some things take a long time, but many times we acclimate ourselves uh, to this long-term thinking, and we suddenly stop expecting God to break in suddenly to turn the situation around. Isaiah 37 contains one of the greatest suddenlies in all the Bible. And I want us to see it before we go back and read the context and the setting. This is Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 soldiers. And when the uh, Israeli army arose early in the morning, behold... They were all dead, 185,000 in a night. I would suggest that possibly this overnight encounter wasn't suddenly, (laughs) wouldn't you? I mean, hello. How did 185,000 people die overnight? Well, in Isaiah 36, verse 18 and 19, let me begin to set the situation up. This is from this pagan king, Sennacherib of the Assyrian army he says don't let hezekiah that's the king of judah here don't let him mislead you when he says the lord will deliver us have the gods of any nation ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of assyria where are the gods of hamath and arpad where are the gods of sapherim have they rescued samaria from my hand in other words There's no hope for life out of this situation, baby. You're going down. There's no deliverance. There's nobody that can help you. There's no way out. Then chapter 37, verse 4 through 7, I won't read it, but verse 7 has four prophecies in it. Number one, God says, I'll send the Spirit. Number two, Rabshakeh will hear a rumor. Number three, he will return to his own land. And number four, Sennacherib will die by the sword in his own land. So we go to verse 14, Isaiah 37, and it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the delegation of the Assyrians, and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out so the Lord could see it. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all of these people and all of their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. So now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Well, in verse 21 through 35, Isaiah prophesies the destruction of the Assyrians. In verse 36, it says the angel of the Lord went out to destroy In verse 37 and 38, it says, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. Hey, a good run is better than a bad stand. When he saw nearly 200,000 soldiers dead, I think that was a good move. He returned. He returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adramiliach and Shazareel, killed him with the sword. And I think they did it because of the names he gave them. (laughs) And they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Eshkardon, his son, succeeded him as king. Well, the whole deal just went down the drain for this pagan king. And all this happened in a very sudden overnight situation. Assyria existed seven to eight centuries before Christ. It was the dominant world power. Assyria had won conquest after conquest and had gradually taken more and more nations captive, tightening the noose around Israel, which was ruled at the time by King Hezekiah. Jerusalem will shortly be under siege, kind of like Kuwait was threatened by Iraq. So an advance warning is being made to King Hezekiah by the enemy. So hoping he would surrender before they actually had to do a battle. Now, the Rabshakeh is not a name, but a title, kind of like Secretary of State or Ministry of Defense. So he's meeting with the diplomatic corps from Jerusalem who are standing up on the walls to hear his proposal. They take the letter from Sennacherib and deliver it to King Hezekiah. After Hezekiah received it, it says in chapter 37, verse 1, he tore his clothes. Now, here's a king who recognizes at the moment the desperation of his circumstances and that their only hope is to humble themselves before God. They don't have any other option. And the tearing of his royal garments was a declaration symbolically, there's nothing of glory that I'm covering myself with that's sufficient for me to stand in this moment. I need God. And Hezekiah humbles himself before God. Two other things take place. He listens to the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, don't be afraid of the words you have heard. Let me pause. You are going to hear from the enemy every time there's a crisis, and it may come from many different sources, and God says, don't be afraid of the words you have heard, and third, he spreads his case before the Lord in prayer, and in this situation, there opens up to all of us a lesson on the power of heaven to administrate the affairs of everyone who trusts in the kingdom and power of God to give a rapid deployment strike force more rapid than anything imaginable. So we're looking this morning at God's quick strike force. Now, of course, I'm referring to angelic visitations. Now notice, Hezekiah does not come to the Lord and say, send angels. I don't know if he even knew they existed. I don't know what he knew. He comes to God and says, Lord, I need you. I don't have anything to offer now. And what God does is commission his own SWAT team, or his quick strike special force operation to bring an overnight suddenly. You won't find this battle in any secular Assyrian literature. Why, Rick? Because ancient kings never recorded their defeats or their failures. Ah, but God does. (laughs) That's another good reason to trust God's Word. God doesn't sugarcoat anybody in the Bible. I don't care how good a person you are, the good, bad, and ugly, God's exposed it. Everybody's naked. When God writes the Bible, he tells even the bad stuff. He doesn't hold back. It's trustworthy. If Assyria had continued their conquest and taken Israel, the next step would have been Egypt. So Hezekiah had appealed to the king of Egypt to join him in an alliance to bring troops and join up to withstand this invading host of Assyrians. And it was to the advantage of Egypt to listen to that invitation and receive it, because Egypt would have received a lot of money, like a hired gun, mercenary, to come and help. And they would have had the benefit of Judah's army to help cut the Assyrians off before they could get to Egypt. But like all Israel leaders, every king of Israel has been warned not to go to Egypt for help. Remember, Egypt is a picture of the world and the flesh. And it was a standard prophecy for all the kings of Israel. Okay, but listen, he did it anyway. Anybody but me ever do it anyway? Mm-hmm. There's some good news in just, just a minute. In Isaiah 36, verse 4 through 6, this shaker remember that's, a, that's a, an office. It's not his name. He mocks Hezekiah for trying to stop Assyria by allying with Egypt. Assyrian troops had walked over both of these nations. So now the noose is tightening. So number one, the noose is getting tight around Israel. Number two, the treaty alliance with Egypt didn't work. And number three, Israel is dead meat. The fourth thing the rabbi Shaka said, that was a big mistake. Look in Isaiah chapter 36 verse 18 and 19. He said, look at all the gods of the nations we've conquered. Why, they haven't been any help at all to their countries. Now, Hezekiah does three things. There's the abject humbling of himself before God, where he rips his kingly garments, humbles himself, and he says, I don't trust in my own capacity or resources or ability to help save us. God, I need you Lord, I tried to cover myself with every resource I've got, with all of Egypt's resources, so I'm ripping my own covering of authority off. I need you, Lord, to cover me. So in this tearing of his clothes is a confession that he had depended on Egypt, human strength and human wisdom and personality and style and manipulation to kind of make this thing happen rather than the Lord. Let me pause a minute. Anybody ever done that? When God wanted me to start this church, I didn't want to, and I was doing some import-export, and I was happy living on the intercoastal waterway in Savannah, Georgia, and I would bring cars over from Germany and Lufthansa and sell them and make a great deal of money by underselling all of the dealerships. It was a piece of cake. It was easy. Had Mercedes, had Porsches, had all the luxury cars flying them in there. I was on top of the world. In this interruption of my life, I want you to sell your home, and I want you to to go to Texas, and I couldn't have heard anything that sounded worse. (laughs) That was not good news to me, and I fought that thing, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there for a year wrestling with that, not wanting to obey it, thinking, I got my own plan. I'm going to move all these cars. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to give a lot of money to you, Lord, trying to buy him off, right, and and I, 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 I'm going to beat this situation. Well, I couldn't sell anything now. For some reason, everything shut down, stopped. I couldn't give anything away. It was ridiculous. It wasn't natural. It wasn't even possible. It just... And I'm thinking, I said, this is not possible. You can't stop me. I know how to do this. I'll make this happen. And this really went on. I know it's hard to believe, I, that, but I, I did. And I remember when I finally broke and laid my head on the kitchen table And I just was near crying to say, okay, nothing could be worse than this. I'll do what you said. And when I said that, in 30 days, everything got sold. In 30 days, like this, you did this, Lord. You did this. I mean, you held up. You made those cars not sell. You did this, didn't you? And then when I said yes. And then the house sold in a week to American Airlines manager who had just come in. to to take over the the airline counter there in Savannah, Georgia. And the rest, well, it's history. But I say that to you, meaning I tried, I went to Egypt. I tried everything I knew to make it work and get around God, and it didn't work. But he didn't hold a grudge. I mean, the moment I repented and said, I'll do what you say, I probably don't have a good attitude, but I'll do it. (laughs) I'll do it. Everything changed suddenly. I didn't share that this morning. I just felt to share it now to give you a little idea of some of my dirt. Well, we've all probably at some point been a little bit guilty of that, although we know the Lord, but we've resorted to maybe other resources than God trying to negotiate, manipulate out of the problem on our own. And the fact that Hezekiah has done it, listen, does not disqualify him from seeing the situation turned around, and neither will it disqualify you. All he had to do was humble himself, confess what he had done, and repent of it. And God didn't hold any grudge, so I'm going to let you suffer for six years. See, don't think the suddenness of God come because of some explosion of faith on our part. It comes because a human heart has been humbled before God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The suddenly comes through the power of God through Jesus. That's how it comes. I didn't have anything to do with it except I'm sorry. I'll do what you say. I give up. Boom. That's how good our God is. And he'll be that good for you too. Now, through this humbling of himself, he now lays the letter before the Lord and listen to the words. He listens to the words of Isaiah, the prophet who said, Hey, don't be afraid of the words you have just heard. I don't care if it's a lawsuit or what it may be from some other people or some situation, or it may be a doctor's report. He may say, don't be afraid. You start right there. Fear not. I'm with you. You're, you. The 364 fear nots in the Bible. You, you say it over and over. Don't be afraid of the words which you have heard. You listen to what God is going to say. That's what, that's what the prophet Isaiah said to him. Hezekiah, listen up, Sparky. You listen to what God says. So, in this spirit, Hezekiah goes before the Lord in prayer. And then catch the setting. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, has sent a letter to Hezekiah. He's done it through his ambassador, Ramshekin, And Hezekiah gets it, reads it, tears his robes, repents before God of being foolish enough to think he could figure out a way to deliver himself all by himself. Then Isaiah, in chapter 37, verse 14, it says he received the letter from this hand of the, this ambassador, and he read it. And Hezekiah goes up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He says, Lord, look at what they're saying about you in Nineveh. Look at this. This is the press notice in Assyria. This is what's all over social media about the living God of all the universe. Can you see what he's doing? You check this out, Lord, it's what they're they're doing to you. He's, He's bringing God into the fight. He's standing back. Sennacherib is saying, You're just like all those other little stick and stone God deities. Not much, not much I can do, Lord. Just wanted you to see what they're saying about you. (laughs) Oh, now God's gonna get in this thing. Hezekiah doesn't ask for angelic activity. We don't know if he even thought he, he could get any. I don't even know if he was aware it's possible, but he did get it. However, see, when we can't imagine anything, that could ever change. We're foolish if we think that we we fail to, to see the possibility of God's quick strike force who can move in with skill and awesome power under the direction of Almighty God that we are so foolish to ever write off any situation beyond a suddenly. I don't know what situation you're facing today, but you are not out of bounds for a suddenly. Not one of you. Now, let's see what happens first, what happens here, and then ask a few practical questions. At first glance, it says an angel went through and killed 185,000. Well, how'd they die? doesn't say. Well, the angel of the Lord came. He did say that. Yeah, but what did he do? Did he give them all heart attacks, make them stop breathing? See, when God sends a messenger of judgment, it isn't always like we typically think, In the book of Joel, God talks about sending judgment and that judgment is called God's great army. And Christians have wrongly assumed that those were the good guys. Well, God's God over everything. So he says, no, it's not. Uh, I, I would typically think that must be angels, his great army he's sending in judgment because angels are the host or army of the Lord. Then the Lord says, Who is my army? And it's a plague of locusts and bugs. That's his army too. And these aren't the good guys. These are the bad guys God is sending. In the writings of Herodotus, an ancient Greek historian, he writes about this episode with Hezekiah and the 185,000 dead soldiers. He said there was an invasion in the Syrian camp of mice, but they were carrying a deadly infection like bubonic plague. Well, where did the mice come from? Did God create them overnight like he brought quails in to feed Israel uh, knee deep? Well, he could. He could have done anything. He could have stopped 185,000 hearts at once. But usually when judgment comes, usually, and it's coming upon a people, it's usually something they've sowed to themselves. So it was common practice for conquering troops to burn the fields and burn the forest. And by the way, God is kind of green for some of you. He would not allow Israel to do that. God is into good stewardship of planet Earth. That's just for a few friends in here. He, 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 He wouldn't let you destroy the environment. You can destroy the enemy, but you are not allowed to destroy the environment. And they would devastate the land. They would burn the cities. So this is going to send rodents and creatures fleeing for shelter. That's pretty obvious. Now, I'm not suggesting that the natural explanation makes it less than miraculous because it is interesting. All of that just happened to coincide with Hezekiah humbling himself and seeking the Lord, and God could have released this plague, uh, whatever it was, that would kill them overnight, instantly. I mean, if anybody's ever had food poisoning, it's about 45 minutes after you eat it, and then you're going to go to the, the hospital. It's going to be violent and vile that fast. So it could be some sort of an infection that, that fast. We just don't know. It didn't say. But two things stand out in the historical event. The ability of heaven to quickly and radically alter your impossible situation. Never say this is too big. No, it's not too big for God. Second, the, the fragility of the best laid plans on earth or hell to try to stop what God's going to do when he gets ready to strike quickly. You can't stop it. See, whatever it is that looks absolutely hopeless to us, God's able to move in quickly. So whatever looks strong and invincible by the adversary, God's able to cripple it. So the quick strike force of heaven is at work. We, we need to be more conscious about these angels. The Bible talks a lot about the ministry of angels. We seem to talk a lot about demons But only a third of the angels fell. Two-thirds are very active for all of us. God has a lot to say about their angels and their ministry to his people. Peter's in prison. He's got triple security guarding him. And the church goes to prayer. And in the midst of this impossible situation, an angel comes into the prison. And Peter's chains fall off. The doors open. And the guards are stricken with deep sleep. Now, this is kind of funny. The home groups are all praying for Pastor Peter to get released. He's at the front door knocking to get in. They won't let him in. (laughs) You couldn't be Peter. We're praying for Peter to get out of jail. And there's Peter trying to get in the house. There's some funny things that go on in the Bible. I'm I'm serious. They're just normal people. See, God's people at prayer can expect there to be suddenlies at times When we say, looks like we're up against the wall, honey, I don't see any way out. Psalms 91 says, the Lord will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Billy Graham said of that verse, angels is plural. You is singular. So at a minimum, every believer in the living God has at least two angels assigned to your watch care, probably many, many more. Psalms 34 verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them. You and I probably have no idea how many times we've been saved, delivered, protected from something, and it was by an angelic force that we didn't see or touch. They're on the job to protect you. That's a fact, and that's good news. You're not alone. Hebrews 1 verse 14, I've memorized all these too, you should. Are they not all ministering spirits, these angels? Sent forth, why? To minister to us who are heirs of salvation. They're they're given to us. It's part of our provision as a believer in Jesus. So angels are assigned to minister for those who inherit salvation, who have received the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's an inheritance you need to receive. God has bequeathed forgiveness of sin and salvation to every one of us through his son, Jesus. But you have to receive it. If somebody arrived at your door and said, you just inherited $150,000 from a distant relative, you have to receive that inheritance by an act and a choice, right? And I would but I ain't got any, and I don't have any relatives that have anything. Shame. Maybe I can be the first one to leave something. I don't know. We'll see. But with our salvation through Jesus, we have included in that promise saying, God says, angels, hey, they're my ministers for you, serving your interest and my purpose for you. Now, that's a That's a wonderful thing to know. Most governments of the world use the term minister for their governmental officials, like secretary of transportation, secretary of defense. Well, angels operate in delegated authority. And these ministers are like government officers. Like it says, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, how about minister of defense? That that angel group. Remember when Daniel was struggling in prayer, an angel came and said, I've been in warfare. That's a minister of war. Hezekiah needed somebody to protect the city, which is about to be destroyed. Maybe it was the angel of minister of urban development. The Bible says God sent an angel before Israel when they went through the wilderness. And here's what he said the angel would do. He would keep them in perfect health. He would lead them and he would protect them. Minister of health, education, and welfare. Come on. At the end of time, the Lord will send angels to the four winds and corners of the earth to gather all of God's people to heaven. Minister of transportation. I marvel at a culture today that mocks angels' existence but buys into weird-looking extraterrestrial creatures. The Bible says there are extraterrestrial creatures, but they're not revealed as weird-looking. They're angels. And there are two categories. Those in rebellion to God... And those faithful to God. Hey, whatever situation you might face today, as difficult as it might be, maybe where you negotiated the best you know how, maybe where you rebelled, maybe where you made foolish and unwise choices knowing better, and it didn't work, and now the news is tightening on you. Your situation now is kind of like Hezekiah's. Maybe where you should have trusted the Lord more, And maybe you didn't, and you resorted to other resources. But Hezekiah tore his clothes and repented and said, Lord, help me. I need you. So keep an open heart because that's what releases the possibility of God releasing God's SWAT team, his quick strike force, wherever it's needed in your situation. Remember, he didn't hold a grudge. His mercy endures forever. The moment you just humble yourself and repent, God will take action. Just acknowledge the fact, look, I tried to do it my way. Remember Abraham tried to do it his way? And we got terrorism and war because of him doing it his own way. Instead of waiting for a miracle child, he wanted to help God out with Hagar and produced Ishmael, and we've had war and terrorism ever since, right? Don't try to help God out. We have to fight our own flesh that wants to. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.